This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? Welcome to Inspiring Design. This is where the best of the best brands, experts, change makers, and thought leaders come together to share their valuable insights, experience, and knowledge. Our goal here is to be the missing link between education, design, and the industry. So today's a bit of a fun one, and it's one of my favorite topics, actually, and a hell of an exciting one to everyone out there. Investing in the 21st century. And to talk about this topic, I have here with me one hell of a guest, someone that I've been following since 2013. He is arguably one of the most successful property investors in the country. Just at the age of 35, he has over 200 properties in his portfolio worth over $50 million, which produces 500K annually passive income. And not only that, he's the founder and CEO of Be Invested, which he started over a decade ago to help current and aspiring property investors to live life on their own terms by using his property investment strategy. So all that, and on top of that, he's well known for his signature thongs, jeans, and white t-shirt, although he's wearing a black t-shirt today. So let's get straight into it. I'm excited and um, Let's talk about property investing. Welcome to the show, Nathan Birch. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on the show and uh, look forward to having our chat. I'm excited for this, so yeah. That's it, that's it. my pleasure. And uh, so can we start off with a little bit of background on yourself? What's your story? Yeah, so a little bit about where I came from and you know why I got into property and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I went to school like everyone did and I realized that I couldn't fit in. I had no friends. I went to five different high schools and um, I realized that, you know, most people would finish school and they'd be on about 40 grand, 50 grand a year. And I couldn't even hack school. I didn't even like school. I failed every grade from kindergarten to year 12. Yeah. Um, and I was told that I was going to be a loser. Like literally teachers would laugh and say, you're going to be a loser. You're going to be working in a scrapyard or whatever. Wow. And, um, and yeah, I, I just realized that I didn't want to have to go and waste 40 years of my life working in a job doing something I didn't want to do. And uh, it was about the age of 13. I got excited by the thought and the process of, uh, you know, teachers telling me that I'm no good at school and all this sort of stuff. And I had calculated a few things and I thought, if I have to go and earn 50 grand a year for the next 40 years of my life, that's a lot of money. And yeah. that'd be like a 70, 80 grand a year job now. And um, I, I sort of toyed around with ideas of, you know, property and I saw my, Brothers, like I was the youngest of four kids. Uh, my brothers were like 20 years older than me. At the age of 13, they were buying their first homes and stuff like that. And I was like, I want to buy a house. So yeah, um, I sort of looked at what would be the cheapest house around. And I realized that if I want to replace an income, I need to have 50 grand a year or a thousand bucks a week coming through as cash flow. And I had this thought, I was working a family business. We were selling goldfish and like an aquarium shop. Right. Um, I used to work and, and earn money from selling goldfish and whatnot. And 
um, I thought to myself, if I could buy a property and get to a position of 10 properties by the age of 30, that I wouldn't have to work. Mm. And I dedicated not to have to like to do whatever it takes to get 10 properties by the age of 30. And I thought it was impossible. Um, I came from a blue collar family in Western Sydney. Um, my dad died at the age of 62, I was 16 years old. Um, never would have expected, just had a heart attack and died. Wow. And I thought to myself like this guy, worked his life and you know worked his backside off and he was unable to retire because by the time he was ready to retire he died and i was like that seems like you know he got ripped off and i thought to myself if i can sacrifice a good 10 years of my life to hustle and do whatever it takes and then i don't have to work then you know it's it's, it's not a life sentence and um so for me i i work two full-time jobs Bought my first house at the age of 18 in uh, Western Sydney, in a house commission area. Like, I didn't grow up in house commission. A lot of people, all the media say, oh, you're from Mount Druid or whatever. Yeah. But um, I went out there, bought my first property, and then I had a goal of buying one every year for the next 10 years. I didn't know what to do. There was no internet back in the day. Um, like, here we are doing a podcast, and, you know, back in 99, 2000, I was lucky to have Encarta 96, a CD-ROM to go on my computer, right? Yeah, and yeah. information was very different. There was no websites, no YouTube, no realestate.com, no nothing. And uh, I went out and started buying properties. I got the first one at the age of 18. And then I had to formulate plans and strategies in order to get there. So from that, um, I bought my first property at the age of 18, Western Sydney. Uh, I wanted to get to 10. I knew, I thought I was going to fail incredibly. Um, I waited about 12 months to buy my second one, bought my second, third and fourth. And then went out and bought another three or four after that. I got stuck at about property number eight. Uh, by the age of 24, I was able to quit my job in the middle of the GFC. I understood how money worked and how yep. currency worked. And they don't tell us that at school. So these are some of the things that you know, you've got to go looking because you go to a 12-year indoctrination camp to become a good slave and people go for the extra four years of Pledge of Allegiance uh, to become a tax slave without ever questioning that you're going throughout your whole lifestyle or your whole life um, trying to tra chase pieces of paper with dead people on it, right? And it's like, what does that money do? It's, yeah. you know, it's trapped. And if you look at the origins of where money comes from and work out a strategy, I just treated my property investing like a business. And, you know, I was able to retire from the workforce at the age of 24 um, with 25 properties by the age of 25. And uh, today I'm 35, 10 years on, and uh, you know, I've got over 200 properties. There was one little correction I wanted to make from the start. It's actually 65 million in property now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've got about um, about 18 and a half million worth of debt. Some people go, "Oh, wow, you've got lots of debt." Yeah. But if I sold it all, you know, good debt. Exactly. It's all about the cash flow, and maybe later on we can talk a bit more about you know how currency works, how I perceive debt, how I see debt as a vehicle and an instrument that's crucial for the current economy especially um, and, and how anyone can sort of use that sort of stuff to, to get ahead so. yeah and, and i think that's the important thing i do want to go into you know understanding these different variances because there's a lot of misunderstandings of what we know property investing or just investing in general was 20 years ago compared to what it is now so yeah. I want to start at a very high level because we do get students listening in and teachers as well who need to essentially teach this information to their kids. So in your words, at a high level, what is investing? So for me, investing enabled me to be able to 
create a cash flow just for me um, to be able to not have to work. So for me, I want to replace, if, if we're all investing, we're investing our time for money. Yeah. You know? um, most people go throughout life and never question that. People used to laugh at me when I was starting, they're like, you know, you're working two jobs, so I go out and enjoy your youth. And now I just have fun all, yeah. all the time. That's why I'm always smiling, always laughing, because I've been able to swap my time and the energy that I've consumed for money. And then it's not actually money, it's currency. And you use that currency to go on and purchase assets, which will bring me in further currency. And I've got cash flow coming through on a daily and weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have to go to work and exchange another 40 years of my life doing a job that I hate. And I see what I realized when I quit my job is I worked two full-time jobs for a period of about seven years. And I thought to myself, half these jobs that I've worked at, if you met the boss at a pub, someone would probably get into a fight, right? Yeah. So you have to sit there and obey him and be like, oh, yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, right? Yeah. And that's a real sad life because I don't believe at the turn of human evolution is when we were born and here put on earth that we're designed to have a clock and a time and tax. And that's the sad thing that I see people go through life. And for me, I guess when I was able to replace my income and be able to live life on my terms, I probably got a bit weird over the years, to be honest, right? Yeah. Because the social parameters and the expectations of what society expects from you, mm -hmm. you don't have to have that as a pressure. And I see so many people with pressure that's like, you've got to perform, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to have the house, white picket fence, you've got to get in the debt, you've got to buy a car, you've got to get a degree. And, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be that way. Like, you as a person have your own destiny of where you want to go to and it's you know that journey that you can go on yeah you weren't always think about like back when i started and actually when i started the business i've never asked this question for many years so you pulled this question out of me is if you weren't stuck at your job if you weren't doing your job what would you be doing with your time mm. how would you be contributing to society how would you be living your days yeah and that's your true purpose of what you would want to do and that yeah. changes over time, different chapters and whatnot, but yeah. Absolutely, and I think that's what's important. I, I usually follow my anything that I'm doing with this statement called become the architect of your own future, which is um, given my architectural background, it, it resonates with me a little bit more, but uh, it's essentially what you're saying. You're not giving into those social norms. You're actually designing whatever the life that you want to and finding ways to do that. Now, there's a lot of misunderstandings of different types of investing. You've obviously killed it in property, but um, in your expert opinion, what are the different types of assets that people can invest in? It's changed a lot of years as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so this could be a whole new can of worms here that I open up, and a lot of people don't actually look at this, but um, from my perspective, I see this as being crucial. Um, our currency that we use, i.e. the dollar bills, that are in our pockets, uh, that is what has changed mm -hmm. a lot over the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 100 years. Um, and I think a lot of the people just obey without questioning that you go to work. I think I've got some in my pocket here with a little clip on it to get cash, right? <laughs> and that's the elusive cash that everyone goes for. Yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, the, the asset classes that are out there, so you've got property, I've mm -hmm. done well out of property. Um, I'm not going to plug my business in this, but I created 
the business reinvested as an investment firm, not just with property, because there's so many different parts of investing that, you know, it's not just confined just to property. Yeah. Um, property is my favorite go-to. However, I try and take all my earned income and stuff like that, that I've had to go and change my energy for a time and put it into something that's going to create passive income. So the thing I like about property is it has uh, a cash flow perspective and a capital growth perspective. So it's an asset that gets inflated mm-hmm. um, and inflation is really my best friend. A lot of people think that their house goes up or their unit goes up or their property or their shares. It's not that anything even goes up in time. It's the fact that the money or the currency that we're using is buying less. So you need more of those $100 bills to buy the same thing that you used to in the past. So if we look at, you've got property, you've got shares a lot of people look at, uh, you've got commodities, uh, there's a lot of digital assets now. Yep. You've got Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, pretty big in that. The day I realized what they were, I laughed at my mate when we first got into them. Yep. Um, about six, seven years ago, I got into that. Um, and I still own lots and lots of crypto. And I've actually got solar farms and mine this stuff as well, which is a bit out there. Yep. Um, uh, you've got precious metals, gold, silver, other types of uh, assets like that. And one of the biggest assets that are a different asset class we'll see at the moment is being able to control your own food supply your food mm-hmm. supply you know what you're going to be eating and stuff i feel um if you look at people like robert kisak you've heard him use this word fake of recent times mm-hmm. we live in a world of you know fake everything fake food fake idols um you know, celebrities you know fake mm-hmm. media fake information and we're feeding ourselves you know you go pick up a, a burger or some food from a shop today and it just tastes disgusting, right? Yeah. It's like, it's really, um, really bad. And I think that having control over your, uh, you know, personal liberty and freedom is, is, is crucial. And having assets, you're the asset. If you're just going out getting a job, you've got to wake up every day and earn an active income. If you can purchase, if you can swap that time for an active income, buy assets that give you a passive income, then you can use that passive income to live off. And yeah. you know, property's my favorite, but yeah. And, and I think this takes me to that next question because it's, it's one of those things that it sounds very simple in principle, right? Because you're literally, instead of trading time for your, uh, an income, you're leveraging off some sort of an asset, you're using inflation towards it. So why isn't everyone doing it? You know, what are the skills required, um, yeah. in your opinion, to, to successfully invest in the 21st century? Yeah. I think a lot of people don't know what they don't know. Yes. And they go to a school, which is an outdated sort of, you know, method of building the humanity. So I, from what I've understood of humans and, you know, in our learning capacity, when we're a child, we have all these questions. We're inquisitive, right? We're like, oh, can I touch this? Could I put my hand on the hot plate? You burn yourself. You have no sort of opinion of anything. But yeah. As we go through life, we get conformed and, and put into a system. And I look at a schooling system that we have today, and we have a schooling system where we're just basically pumping out tax slaves. That's in the essence, you know, in the matrix, they said we're pumping out people to be an energy source, being a Duracell battery, right? They pulled up the battery and said, This is what you are, you're a slave. Uh, I feel the system, the whole schooling system has put us into being a tax slave and we, we, we go to school, get a job, 
but no one really questions. Uh, no one goes, hey, hang on a second, it doesn't have to be that way. And um, I think, you know, a lot of people go searching it and the ability, like nowadays, to be able to get access to information. We've got, when I first started my business, there was, there was no YouTube. I was like one of the first people on YouTube making YouTube videos with a big camcorder, a massive one, sitting in yep. a car with no driving around. Um, access to information is much greater now and people can share ideas and strategies and, and, and be able to get information and content which is far greater than you know what you can talk from one person one textbook that's outdated so i think you know if if you have an idea or something you know there's lots of great people out there that have done great things if you've got an idea and a concept you can listen to society and get slapped down or just keep asking that question until you get the answer that you're looking for and for me, it wasn't working 40 years in a job. It's like, you know, I think everyone should be questioning as well. If you could get back that 40 years, if you're 40 and you're going to retire at 60, you're probably not going to retire at 60. You could retire at 70, right? right? We're mm. living in a world of unknown financial matters, and that's a totally different topic as the, the world that we're living in today financially. But you know, what can you do today in your own world? The world might be a screwed up place in a lot of circumstances but your world doesn't have to be and how can you plan how can you create strategies um i think one of the biggest things that's been a key drive to keeping me stuck to my goals is um having you know clear defined goals and building out a business plan for my personal life a 12 month or five year a 10 year plan to be able to work out what steps i need to take to get to where i want to be yeah. uh, and i often think about it as a journey if someone was to go on a trip i always ask them like how would you get how would someone get to perth and people say you fly there mm. some people i ask and they say you'd fly here some people i'm talking on the other end of the phone they're like i'm like you already live in perth you don't have to go anywhere yeah right yeah some people might be in sydney some people might be overseas to get to that destination, you would need a different, every person would need a different vehicle. So if you can identify where it is that you're trying to go to and have that as your you know, goal, and then work out where you are and what abilities you've got in order to get there, and then work out different strategies on how to get there. Having clarity on that is really crucial to be able yeah. to achieve it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's very valuable advice because it's going back to one of the episodes that that sheer amount of information that's available right now this is funny because um it was adam hudson that mentioned it going podcast is actually one of the biggest life hacks because you are literally learning and hearing the voices of the best people out there and um and so this is why it's really cool and if i'm hearing you right it's that curiosity there's no particular skill it's actually the curiosity you want to know where you want to get to where you want to be and then reverse engineering that process so that's love that very very clear and concise now you something i want to ask you is um how when you're looking at property because that's where your focus and expertise lies how yeah. do people even begin to learn real estate like at a starting point if you if you had to give advice to let's say 518 year olds or 20 year olds yeah what would your advice be to them who knows nothing about real estate so so many people actually it's, it's good that you're asking that question backing off what i was just saying before and about having the clarity and the strategy of where to go um so many people go out there trying to find the holy grail mm. of buying a property like that is the destination yeah but once you can realize that you've got a 
a clear path of where you're trying to go to mm -hmm. and understanding what your parameters are. If you're in New Zealand trying to get to Perth on the other side of Australia, you can't drive there. So if you've yep. got a car, you're going to end in the ocean. Yeah. Um, you know, but you need a car if you're on this side of the, True. the journey. Yeah. So working out everybody's race is different. Everybody's life is different. Everybody's sort of um, position is, is different there. So um, looking at if you've got clarity on where you're going, um, you can purchase and acquire the assets in line to get you to that position. So a lot of people will look at the property and think, oh, I've got to buy a property because it's close to this or close to a shop or, or whatever. The property is probably the least thing on the parameter mm. of what I look for. The strategy is crucial and, and knowing that then when the property comes to the equation, you've got two parts. If I said, here's a property today, it's amazing, it's worth a million bucks, but you can buy it for $500,000. You could be like, cool, I'll buy it, I'll make a half a million dollars. But if you don't have finance for it, then you're never gonna do the deal. Yeah. If you don't have the deposit or the capital for it, you won't be able to do the deal. So I always think to myself, once you've got the clarity, then it's like, what do I need to do next to get there? How, and when I pick up a property, let's say I pick up a property and go, this one looks really cool. Mm -hmm. I always question myself, how is this property going to get me to where I wanna be? What is the property gonna to bring to me to the table? Um, a lot of people out there in the past have talked about negative gearing and you know, buying properties for tax reasons and stuff like that. I don't buy it, right? No one would set up a business in order to lose money to get a tax credit. You'll go bankrupt, right? It's called insolvent. Yep. Um, so I don't buy properties that are negative geared. If, they have, if they're slightly negative, but they're bringing something else to the table, I'll take it for its own merit. And I think but the important I'm, thing to clarify there would be negative gearing is a good thing if you're if you're already well established and you want to balance the portfolio. Something yeah. that I've learned um, a little bit the hard way by uh, one of the mentors that I used to have was um, he was purely running from the negatively geared '80s mentality, and yeah. um, and as a first home buyer was advising me and a couple of my friends to actually go and buy negatively geared properties. And I was actually thinking going, this is like creating an unnecessary sinkhole in your bank account. Isn't yeah. that counterproductive? And, and um, this is exactly right. So negatively gearing, you need to actually balance your portfolio later, not at the start. So I'm loving what you're saying. So like, let's assume that, um, you know, if we had any successful business out there in the marketplace, it could be Richard Branson with Virgin, it could be any business. He wouldn't get to a point where he has all these aeroplanes and then goes, oh, let's set up a new business to lose money. He'd yeah. be like, can we get more business, right? Yeah. So, um, and I'm sure at the start, he didn't go and set up, you know, rocket ships to start off with. He started with something that was going to bring in cash flow. Student magazine. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that as, a, as an investor, you need to look at what is your journey and always reply, like, re relay it back to that. Um, what is your goal? How is this going to help me get there? So the properties for negative gearing, I think that sucks. It's a flawed model. Um, as for positive gearing, like I like positive cash flow properties. I'm going to put money in my pocket each week. It's going to support my lifestyle. Um, and what I realized in later years of my portfolio, my investing, is that it's not necessarily about the asset naturally itself. It's the whole chessboard that we're playing on. So the currency 
and our money supply game is rigged. It's set up rigged, right? Mm -hmm. The issuance of currency and literally in the last 1,000 years, there's been over 10,000 different currencies that have all died via a hyperinflation. Dollars, you know, yen, pounds, all different currencies out there. Um, the average one lasts about 30 years. Uh, we're actually the longest currency ever, which is the dollar standard that we've got at the moment, which is 49 years old as of the 15th of August, 1971. Wow. Um, and the we're in the last days of our currency right now. Um, a lot of people think their house has gone up in value or that, you know, they're so wealthy or so rich, but people still so poor nowadays, right? Mm. So if, let's go back to 2000, like we're in 2020 now. We can go back to 2010 and even 2000 and go for a walk down memory lane in all our lives. What was a paddle pop? Like for those that don't know what a paddle pop is, like an ice cream, mm -hmm. an ice block. How much was an ice block today compared in the past? Uh, I, I live a fairly healthy lifestyle. I eat organic food, and you know, I used to. Uh, I never drank or anything like that. But I used to smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. They're so expensive. Smoke two packs a day. I quit a few years ago. Yeah. And um, every time I'd buy a pack of cigarettes, I'd buy an ice block. So two ice blocks a day. And they started off in 2008 at about 80 cents a paddle pop. Uh, those paddle pops sell. The ice blocks now sell for about two dollars forty. Recently, I saw them at two dollars fifty and even three dollars. Mm -hmm. Did the ice block get any better in the last ten years? No. Nope. Why did the ice block go up in value? Right. Mm. How much was a can of soft drink mm -hmm. going back ten years ago and twenty years ago? I remember we used to have a little machine you put eighty cents in and get a can of Coke. Yeah. Right? A can of Pepsi. Now you buy that and it's like three bucks or four bucks. Um, did they go up in value? No, the currency was devaluing. So mm -hmm. they're printing more money and the more money that they print, the more money you need to buy to buy that same item. Yeah. Um, I realized at a very early age that this game that we're playing on is rigged in essence, right? Mm. So the more money they're printing, the more expensive things go. Yep. So if you were to draw a curve here and have the the more money printing up, debt becomes irrelevant with inflation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you take out $100,000 to buy a property 20 years ago and that property is worth five hundred today and you still got the 100 grand loan, you can pay that loan off much easier. Because uh, we were talking at the start about how I aspired to have a 40 grand or 50 grand a year income. But the average income now would be like 80 grand. Yeah. But the cost of goods back in the day, you know, you've got car loans, like going back out in 2008, they used to do this thing called like cash for clunkers. So they'd try and remove all the old cars off the road and mm. get everyone buying cars with car loans. So we've now got all these cars with like 0% or 1% or 2% interest rates on them. It becomes a disposable good. Um, mortgages, when I bought my first property, I was paying like 7% and went up to 10%. And now we're at, at the Central Bank of Australia at the time of recording this at 0.25%, right? Yeah. Um, three years ago, I came out and said, we're going to see a depression of big biblical proportion. And everyone thought I was totally nuts and lost my mind. And um, I think we're in the depression of biblical proportions in 2020. And um, they're printing so much money. Like we've seen in Australia here, almost $1 trillion worth of government debt yeah. taken up this year. Yeah. If 
everybody's at the limit on debt. If we were to see interest rates go up just 1%, we're at a quarter of a percent. Mm. That means it would go up 400% to get back to where it was this time last year. Yep. The government would go bankrupt. Everyone would go bankrupt. So we're stuck with this cheap monetary policy. And that's where I'm seeing a lot of growth. And, you know, the, the more money that goes through that system, the more inflated rents will become, the more inflated ice blocks will become. Go to McDonald's and see what your bill would cost at McDonald's. It's much more expensive in 2020 than what it was in uh, 20, 2008. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what's important here. Do you think, this is a very short, sharp question. Do you think this information, this kind of type of learning needs to be a dedicated subject in schools? 100% it does. Because yeah. people go to People go for 40 years, well, they go to school for 12 years or 13 years if you calculate kindergarten. Yeah. And then they go to university for another four to six years. And then they go for another 40 years if they're lucky and survive that chasing the elusive dollar bills. Mm. Right. And at no point along the way does someone say, hey, hang back a minute. Yeah. How you can get ahead so you're not going to be so stressed with life. Like school doesn't teach you emotional intelligence it doesn't teach you how to you know get through life uh, eat good food be holistic as a person it's mm. teaching you how to be a tax slave yep it's teaching you irrelevant things to conform to society's expectations and be a part of the system and i think a lot of people like are waking up to this but not enough people because if there was an understanding of how the currency worked of how monetary system worked there would be a revolution tomorrow and i think uh, Henry Ford even talked about that. There was one of his lines: "If people understood how currency works, there'd be a revolution tomorrow." And mm. that's, yeah, they don't teach at school. It's, I find and that's the important thing because right now we're at that point, like you said, there are people waking up to it. But it, and there's a, it's that transition of education and the industry. And while these shifts and changes happen, they are it, it's in that fluctuation mode at the moment. So we're kind of in a limbo, neither here nor there. So there's a lot more disparity and, and confusions and misalignments. Now, one of the things I want to clarify was, um, you know, earlier we talked about good debt and bad debt. And um, yeah. some people comment about the millions of dollars of debt that you have. Can, yeah. can you clarify exactly what's good debt and what's bad debt? Yeah. So good debt, bad debt, it's thrown around a lot out there. Um, you know, good debt, you go and buy an asset that's going to go up in value or do something for you positively. Or a bad debt would be buying a new TV on a credit card or getting a afterpay to buy an, a suit or buying a car on a loan. Assets um, and liabilities. It's just a liability, yeah. Um, but for me, I think of it in many, in many more layers than that. Um, some people say there's bad debt and worse debt, right? Yeah. Everyone's debt bad. But if you understand how the currency that we use and the money that we use in our world today, mm -hmm. it is all debt. It's a debt-based monetary system. It changed in 1971. It's backed by nothing. It's backed by the faith and the confidence of that system. And it's starting to break down. Um, I look at the debt that I hold. And if I'm taking on debt, and throughout all my businesses, so I've talked about the property portfolio. I've got over 200 properties, uh, over 65 million worth of asset. Um, in my business life, I actually don't even have a dollar of debt in any other area of my life. It's just my properties. Those properties bring me in a cash flow every week. Uh, I use that cash flow to pay off that 
debt and to service that debt. And at an interest rate of 0.25%, if I'm getting a 10% return on an investment and I'm paying off 2%, that means there's 8% there to pay maybe some account rates, order rates, as well as leave an income for me to be able to live on. Yeah. The debt I'm paying off in inflated dollars. So I'm paying off today's debt with tomorrow's dollar. Mm-hmm. So the cash flow is getting inflated. The rents are higher than what they were 10 years ago. The asset price is worth what they're, more than what they were 10 years ago. And then you've got this exponential growth in that aspect. You know, that's where I feel like debt can be used from a good perspective. I think debt is perfectly fine. Um, if you get ahead, I see a lot of people, it is something I realized in the first maybe five years of investing is that people will try and save up money and buy a property with a big chunk of cash. Mm-hmm. Every time I'd save up 20 grand, the property would go up by 50 grand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not working here, right? Yeah. And if we look at, um, you know, all the businesses around the world, all the governments around the world, all of the organizations, all of the institutions that are out there, they all have debt. Mm. Money is debt. Um, if I was to sell off one of my properties and um, let's say I bought it for a hundred grand, I sell it for a million, I pay off the hundred thousand loan, 900 grand goes to my bank account. Someone has just taken out more debt to buy that asset for a million bucks. Mm. And when I pay off that hundred grand loan, that hundred grand loan goes back to money heaven and doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Disappears. So I, I like the matrix and I like to refer to that a lot in life. Yep. And when it comes to investing, like a lot of people out there will talk about a property and, you know, buy a property, do this with a property. Property is great. I love it. It's been very great to me. Right. Mm. Um, I look at the matrix and think, is it the spoon that bends? Or is it the mind that bends? And if you can understand how the parameters of the board that we're playing on work, you can understand how to own the whole board mm. and walk yeah. away with the whole game. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what's really cool. One of my mentors, one of the uh, really sayings that I always refer to in my own investing journey is, um, you know, property is kind of like playing Monopoly because when you're playing Monopoly with your friends, you come up with really creative things to do deals and combine forces and you know combine different property aspects to win the game and um and one of my mentors just this is when like it was a ball drop moment for me because he he basically said mate you know australian property market is pretty much like playing monopoly because if two consenting parties are on deals on so you can actually be creative come up with ideas like you're playing Monopoly. So don't be afraid of it. Just learn the rules and learn those parameters so you can own the board. So this is, this is great. It's all um, resonating with years of these expert learn, learnings. Now, yeah. one of the things that <clears throat> I think when it comes to good debt and bad debt, it's important for students, especially to understand the differences between um, assets and liabilities. And I think it goes back to that what you said, it's connected to the whole thinking outside the social norms because we can very easily be tempted to, I think, buy a fancy car because it looks cool, it's impressive, um, you can drive around, it'll make you feel good on a short-term basis, but you're actually hindering yourself long-term. So, And 
I feel like, again, it goes back to that very first thing you said of understand exactly the clarity of where you want to get to and what those moves are going to do. So I love that. Now, um, I'm mindful of time. I feel like we can talk about this topic for, you know, hours and hours. <laughs> I could keep going all day. So. Yeah, oh, me too. It's one of those. That's why I mentioned it was, a, it, was it is absolutely one of my favorite topics. But to, to um, look towards finishing off, do you, what's your advice for students and graduates right now? The ones that are 15 to 22 years old, what's your advice for them? Okay. I'll, so there's a few things that I'm thinking of in my head. So I'll run through them step by step yep. first one uh, i read this article maybe about three years ago it was just i don't watch the media that much nowadays because we'll see how many you know, lies and stories there are but <laughs> it was this article that i saw and it said um that if like basically if you're broke in your 20s that's cool if you're broke in your 30s that's sort of okay but by your mid 30s generally you're settling down so if you're 35 you're probably going to find a partner you might want to have some children whatever as you're getting older, like you've got more expenses. If you're at home and you're with your mum and dad and you're 18, right, you've normally got three square meals a day, clothes washed, you know, whatever, right? You've got a, a roof over your head. You don't have to worry about all the primitive things that keep us humans, yeah. you know, to survive. As you get older, the earlier you can start the compounding, the, the compounding effect that will occur with, with, with investing will be more crucial. So um, have clarity as to where you're going. Um, look at the assets more as a vehicle and how they're going to help you get to where you want to be. Um, look at, like when I'm buying properties, I want to make sure there's three things that I always talk about, buying a below market value, upside for growth, and having a strong cash flow. They're crucial. Minimize the risk, has got upside for growth what I'm buying for, and the cash flow will put money in my pocket every week so I can live on. Um, society will knock you about, right? Like people will be told, from their friends, I've been told from my family, I've been told from people that care about me, colleagues in the past, all that sort of stuff. You know, you only need one house to live in, right? You only, why do this? Go out and enjoy your life, right? The property, when you break it back down to just a vehicle, you could have for a half a million bucks, one cool Lambo to drive in. Yep. So you could have 24 Falcons and use them as Ubers. Collect that cash flow, you can then use that to pay for Lambo, right? Yep. And a lot of people just look at the instant gratification of what the choice is today. But having a very clear, detailed strategy will help you ultimately get there. There's other variables, like I can sometimes make it sound very easy. Go buy 10 properties, you know. <laughs> um, well, you do, you do certainly make it look easy, but I think it's that difference between looking short-term and having a long-term mentality. And every single one of my mentors, they unanimously shared the fact that you always have to think long-term and yeah. there's a very distinct pattern to people who have made it above that normal tax slave life and yeah. and i think the the hilarious part is there's a very proven formula and they're all saying the same thing they just specialize in a different area that's like you have true. with property so yeah yeah sorry sorry i didn't mean to cut that, you off on the thing. no that's okay that's okay um uh, and I think it's being committed to that. Like once you've got clarity, right? So let's assume that someone is 20 years old today and they're going to start out a, a, a life as a tax slave, right? And I say it very openly <laughs> with a smile on, on my face. Yeah. Like we're all there. I've paid more taxes than most people in family trees would pay in life, right? Like it's yeah. like I've paid a lot of money in tax. but And I don't try to do stuff to avoid taxes. I, I do do my decisions based on how my portfolio is going to look. 
-hmm. But if someone's starting out at 20 years old, uh, you've got an option, right? That's to work for 40 years, hopefully have a little bit of money left over, may not get to see your children grow up, your partner might have to go to work because you need to pay for the mortgage, struggle to put the roof over your head, etc. Or you could sit there and be like, okay, what would I need to earn to live a modest lifestyle? Index for inflation. Mm -hmm. So if you're 15 or 18 or 20 or 30 or even 40 or 50, um, what would be, and it doesn't matter like at what point in life you're at, there's always a way to be able to protect yourself and, and move forward. Um, but if you're sitting there thinking, I need 100 grand a year or 80 grand a year, let's say average income 80 grand, 80 grand a year. 80 grand a year divided by um, 52 weeks is, let's call it 1,600 bucks a week. Mm -hmm. So um, when you find something that's going to give us $1,600 per week and be indexed for inflation. So I think about it and think, if you were wanting to replace the income of 80 grand a year, what would an average rental of a property be? Well, I pick up properties in Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, all around the country. Um, for 100 grand to 300 grand in capital cities that rent for 300 bucks a week. Say the average rent um, in Brisbane, I'll pick up properties even today for someone, uh, 150 grand rent for 300 bucks a week. So if you were to get that 1600 bucks a week, divide it by um, 300 bucks, so you need six and a bit properties. You need six properties to retire. It is easy. That's the problem. <laughs> well, it is, right? Yeah. So the once you've got, I want 80 grand, break it back down, six properties, cash, unencumbered. Then the next part comes is how you're going to buy six of them owned outright. Yeah. 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 So you could either buy six, work like a dog for the next 40 years, pay heaps of tax, pay all the interest, all that sort of stuff, pay off the properties. Or you could be like, okay, if I bought 10 of those, 12 of those properties for 200 grand or 150 grand, and the market was to double due to natural occurrences with inflation, you could buy double the amount of properties by 12, mm -hmm. watch the property go from 150 to 300 grand, sell off six, and pay out the other six. Yeah. That's one strategy. Yeah. You could look at saying, okay, I wanna buy 10 properties that bring me a hundred bucks a week coming through hundred bucks a week times 10 thousand bucks a week, 52 grand a year. Mm. The property is just a vehicle to get that result. If you have clarity on the end goal, go find the equation in between to be able to get, to get there. And uh, you don't need, you know, financial advisors out there. Most of them are broke. They're an insurance salesperson or whatever the case <laughs> be. They're, they're trying to sell something. Yeah. Um, Finding, you know, having access is lots of great mentors. There's, 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 there's podcasts, there's like lots of sources out there, lots of people that are doing things in their relevant field. Mm. I'm talking about property. The thing I love about property is that you can take an active income, your business, whatever that may be, and invest it into a passive income. But there's knowledge out there. Don't just sit there and be, you know, told that you can't do something and not explore other options. So. Yeah. That's great. Great advice. And I honestly wish someone had told me those words when I was in my late teens or early 20s. Um, for myself, I had to actually go and find that information, learn for the last seven, eight years, and actually then put it into practice. So it was a much harder grind. But like you said, there's so much more information just available. People can just do what they're doing. You just need to look 
and learn the rules of the game and, yeah. and go forward. Now, one of the last questions I always ask and end with is relating it back to our education system. Yeah. What's your advice for teachers and schools? Because this, the current teaching system, like we talked about before, is a little bit outdated, but it's in that influx shifting phase. And at the same time, the people that are teaching right now are the ones who know the previous generation's mentality. So how yeah. do they teach 21st century investing to kids who need to learn it for the next 20 years with previous outdated information? What's your advice for them? Yeah, uh, good question. I wasn't thinking this one got me started <laughs> with it, but I'll give you my thoughts on it. And it might be like maybe like three prongs to it. One is I believe that in a like an, a minute of YouTube uploads is like a whole 80 years worth of data. Wow. The upload speed, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like a minute worth of upload every minute yep. is like 80 years worth of data. Wow. We're 2,000 years into this system. Um, was there people before? I don't want to go into any sort of religious topic. But let's say that we've just been here for 2,000 years. How many men, women, and children have walked through Earth. They've all got their own you know, vision of what they can see and how the world has been perceptive to them. Mm -hmm. um, schooling and the teaching system is people sharing stories and, 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 and theories and, and whatnot, which is great. Um, but there's so much knowledge out there, none of us have all the answers, right? And for a student, if you don't like the answer, keep seeking, right? Mm -hmm. Keep searching for that answer because someone out there might have had a different way Right, like we've all lived different lives, we've all got different backgrounds, upbringings, and whatnot. Uh, so, if your student keeps searching, the teacher may not be able to give you the answer you're looking for. Don't just take that as gospel, just keep asking. As a child, we're naturally born to ask questions, be curious. Yeah. Um, if you're a teacher, you only know what you know, right? And the system to become a teacher has just taught us that this is what we're to do to give the information. So, now I know there's a lot of teachers out there. I speak to them on a day-to-day -day basis. I speak to mums, dads, you know, teenagers, you know, 20-year-olds, whatnot, people from all different walks of life. And as a teacher, I see them and they're like, I don't know why I've been teaching this way, right? They're like, all I'm doing is giving a curriculum that's regurgitated. It's like, it's textbook. Mm. If you step outside of that as a teacher, you can get into trouble, mm. right? Yep. Um, if you, as a teacher, I think researching, learning, questioning the system that you're working in as well to be like is this 100 percent gospel is this the right answer and you know if you feel that there could be another way like be open like just be open to change i think we can all learn from you know others and be connecting ultimately you know we're spiritual beings having a human experience here and there's lots of you know people when people come together and connect that's where you know really cool things come from so you know don't don't lock yourself out from an opinion opinions never pay the bills. Opinions never get us too far in life. So being open to learning is really yeah. And I think that's what's crucial here because the teacher has to become the student and learn, consistently yeah. learn. So, mate, it's been awesome. Thank you so much for giving up your time. My pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on board. Inspiring indeed, Nathan. So, so much insight into 21st century investing just on that last half an hour to 45 minutes, but this is a topic that requires hours and hours of time and dedication. So um, follow what you're doing with Nathan, 
that's it for today. Now it's time to jump on to rishansananayake.com forward slash podcast and check out the show notes from today's episode. Click on the direct links and check out the amazing and extraordinary work that Nathan and his team is doing at Be Invested in the property scene and follow him closely. And last but not least, click subscribe and share your love with a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic and feedback as well. So thanks so much for tuning in guys and till next time.